want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to begin reading there in just a moment. 2 Corinthians 10, and we'll be reading verses 4, 5, and 6 shortly. The title of this evening's message is Strongholds 101. And we want to go a little deeper, I think, than we were able to do this morning. Originally, when I was studying this week, and um, I, was, I was out sick for about three days, and, and uh, so some of this, I might have been delirious as I worked on it, but, but as I studied, I looked at this passage in 2 Corinthians 10 and originally wanted to bring that into this morning's message. But I looked at it and I thought, you know, we can only eat so much at one time. And so uh, I made the decision to bring it into our study tonight, Strongholds 101. Uh, I think you understand by now, most of you uh, who know the Lord Jesus, and if you've been a part of this church for a while, we, we've talked about it, that you and I live in a world in which there are two kingdoms that are very much competing for your attention. And one of those is the kingdom of God, and it is a kingdom of light and truth. The other is the kingdom of Satan, described in Scripture as a kingdom or a domain of darkness. As a consequence of that, when someone is a part of the kingdom of darkness, they don't know Christ, they have never understood the gospel or responded to the gospel, and so as a consequence of that, they are part of the kingdom of Satan. Because it is a kingdom of darkness, they do not typically understand, recognize, or respond to the truth. They have a truth deficit. They, they're struggling to understand what the truth is. And so when we talk about strongholds, even in the believing life, we're talking about a struggle with the truth. And I gave you a definition this morning, and I'm going to repeat it tonight because it really, the, the definition I gave you this morning grew out of this passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians 10. And the definition is this, a stronghold is a demonic fortress of thinking and living that opposes a relationship with God and resists submission to His rule. And there it is on the screen, and if you have your notes from this morning, you already have that. And so each part of that really grows out of this passage in 2 Corinthians 10, but I believe was so beautifully and powerfully illustrated by Joshua in the takedown of Jericho. The enemy's way of keeping you or someone you know from the truth is through a stronghold. A stronghold is different than just a, uh, the presence of the enemy in someone's life. Uh, this is not something that you cast out. It is something that you cast down. And it is, it, is a, um, it is rooted in this battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. So with that kind of in our back of our mind, I want to read this passage, 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 through 6. And I hope that you have your Bibles open to that or whatever device you use to find that scripture, because that way it will really help you tonight to understand and follow along. In verse 4, uh, by the way, the Apostle Paul's in the midst of a defense of his authority to teach and to provide guidance for the people in Corinth. Some other teachers have come, and they are challenging him, saying, you know, when he's just there in person, he's not very impressive. 
He's uh, not very strong. His writing's pretty good, but he really seems to lack a lot. And so these other teachers were coming behind, and they were doing all kinds of putting down of who Paul was. And so Paul was in a position of having to defend his authority as an apostle and his teaching as an apostle. It's in the context of that that he responds to the people in Corinth. Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. I want to build our response tonight around two questions. The first one is, what is a stronghold? The second one is, what is the process for tearing down a stronghold? And before I go further, would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful tonight, those of us that know Jesus, that we are living in a kingdom of light, a kingdom ruled by the love of God that has changed us and transformed us. We're thankful tonight that in this conflict that we're engaged in, that we don't have to wander around wondering what is happening, that you have given us clear teaching to understand what, where the battleground is and how you want us to respond. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. We ask you to teach us the truth about strongholds from this passage, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. First question, what is a stronghold? The passage describes what has to happen before a stronghold can be cast down. And so I want, I'm not going to bring it all back out, but we have a stronghold that's left over from this morning. And, and each of us has um, a stronghold somewhere that we're probably dealing with or encountering in our life. It was so important that Paul addresses it through this passage of Scripture. They were beginning to be affected in such a way that it was hindering their forward progress in discipleship. It was hindering their ability to grow. It was hindering their ability to know the truth. It was hindering their ability to hang on to and apply what Paul had taught them. So there are three things I want to give in response to the question, what is a stronghold? And then I'm going to come back and talk about the process for tearing it down, looking at the same passage of Scripture. Number one, a stronghold is a demonic defense against a real relationship with Jesus. In verse 4, we see the phrase for pulling down strongholds. The whole purpose of a stronghold is to protect the people who are inside the stronghold. And it is a defensive mechanism on the part of the enemy. It's a way to keep himself and his ideas and whatever he's hanging on to uh, safe and secure. So it's a defense. But what's he defending himself against? He's defending you from having a real relationship with Jesus or someone that you know or someone that you love and care for. For example, in verse 5, he goes on and says, we're um, our weapons are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. In verse 5, he says, casting down arguments. And that word for arguments refers to um, reasoned conclusions. It's a wall of reasoned conclusions. 
where I have made up my mind about certain things. And it is the way that I filter and see the things that come at me. Now, let me illustrate it this way. My wife um, can see colors better than I can. I saw a guy in a restaurant today, had a nice shirt and a tie that matched. And I said, your wife picked that out for you, didn't she? He said, you're right. How did you know? Cause I said, because I got one of those too. <laughs> a wife, not the tie. And so I'll look at something and I'll say, that's gray. And she said, no, it's not gray. That's green. I'll say, no, 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 no. I said, that's, that's gray. And we'll have an argument about it. And in the course of arguing about it, I am absolutely convinced that I am right because I'm seeing it the way that I see it. I am filtering it because of the way I perceive color. I'm filtering it that way. And I'm convinced, and you cannot dissuade me. And a stronghold functions, functions much the same way. A stronghold, the primary fallback position that a person will take when they are being afflicted by a stronghold is argumentation. And they will argue and argue and argue and argue and argue and you are wasting your time. I know it's important that we have a defense for the faith. It is important that we be able to explain why we believe what we believe to someone who genuinely wants to understand and to know. But we ultimately do not win people through argument, argue, arguing with them. They are one in an entirely different way, and we'll see that in just a moment. But, but when you're dealing with someone who, is, who is, has that argumentative spirit, you're not helping yourself and you're not helping them by dragging out that argument. But that's how stronghold functions, and it lets you know that there's a stronghold involved. <coughs> the second part of this is that it involves active, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> opposition to a personal knowledge of God. In verse 5, he talks about casting our arguments and every high thing. And the high thing refers like to the ramparts on top of a wall. So there's the wall and then there's usually a tower that comes up every, every uh, so many feet along the top of the wall. And this is not a, a, a passive thing. This is not a wall reason conclusions that need to come down so that a person can begin to hear and understand truth. This is a high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And the word knowledge there, in the original language, there are two different words for knowing or for knowledge in the Scripture, in the New Testament. One word, the Greek base word for it is oida, and it refers to factual knowledge. I know uh, this fact or these series of facts about my car. I have that kind of knowledge of my car. But there's another word for knowledge. It's a Greek word, gnosko, and it means to know something personally, to know something intimately. And this, this opposition, this argumentation, this, this opposing, actively opposing against the knowledge of God, what is the, high, the stronghold opposing? It's opposing a personal knowledge of God. I don't want to get a hold of, ahead of myself because we're going to talk about this in just a second, but, but the enemy does not want you, you or your friend to have intimacy with God. 
And he's going to actively oppose it. So, so you can talk about doctrine all day long. You can argue theology all day long. You can argue about what church is the best church all day long. You can talk about all this kind of stuff. You are not putting one chink in the wall, the stronghold, until you start talking about your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a demonic defense against a real relationship with Jesus. Secondly, a stronghold is a battle for control of the mind. It's a battle for control of the mind. In verse 5, he says, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Obviously, if that's what I'm trying to do when I take down a stronghold, it's involving my mind, every thought into captivity. And and so the mind is a very significant battleground in, when it comes to strongholds and to this battle between the kingdoms. Now, I will occasionally, if you're talking to me on a personal level, I'll use the word stronghold to describe something other than this series of arguments and deception that builds up in a human mind, whether it's a Christian mind or a non-Christian mind. Another way to refer to stronghold might be to talk about any area in a community, for example, where it seems that the gospel is very, it's very difficult for the gospel to go in there. Well, in one sense, you're still talking about strongholds in the minds of people that are resistant to the gospel. But there very, there very much is a real sense in which demons and demonic activity can be associated with a place in Scripture. For example... Uh, you can just jot this down in the margin, but in Luke chapter 8, if you go to about the middle of the chapter, there's a story there about Jesus encountering a man of Gadara, a Gadarene, who was demon-possessed. He was demonized. And when Jesus encountered this guy, he was from an urban area, a town, but he was living among the dead in the tombs without a stitch of clothes on. It's a great story. We're going to have to look at that story sometime. I'm not going to do any visuals <laughs> like you're thinking about. But when Jesus confronted the demons in this guy and uh, he discovered the name was Legion, and when he was getting ready to expel the demons from this man's body, from his life, they begged him not to force them out of that region, out of that country. Why? Because they wanted to stay in that country. They wanted to stay in that region. And as the story unfolds, like I said, it's a great story. He casts them out. What do they do? They all go into a big herd of pigs. And they run down a hill and they go into the water and they drown. And if anything should show you what the enemy's intent is, when he influences a human life, that should show it to you. He wants to kill, he wants to deceive, he wants to destroy. But the battle, when we talk about strongholds, is with the mind. The third characteristic of a stronghold is this. It is the source of disobedient living. In verse 6, he says, "...and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled." So he wants the church to get to a certain place to where they have pulled down this stronghold of thinking that opposes a personal relationship with Jesus. He wants them to bring every thought into captivity 
to Jesus, submitted to him. We're going to look at that in a moment. And then when their obedience is complete, he wants them to be ready to address disobedience. Well, that really sets the stage for our next question. The next question is, what is the process for tearing down a stronghold? Now, let me say at the beginning that Paul never specifies when he says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. He does not specify what his weapons are. And we can, we can talk about that. We will talk about that another time. But very clearly in this text, he describes what's got to happen for a stronghold to come down. Uh, Paul's describing in these three ways spiritual warfare in terms of physical warfare in his day and time. A great scripture verse on this, Proverbs 21 verse 22 says, A wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the trusted stronghold. And so the three, if you were a military type person and you were attacking a Jericho, the standard operating procedure was to first get the walls down. You had to destroy the walls. And so you might put up some kind of siege works, um, some kind of physical way of dismantling that wall while resisting attack yourself. You had to destroy the walls. And then when you did that, you took captives. And then when you took the captives, then you punished any remaining resistance whenever it reared its head. Standard conquering procedure. So what is involved in taking down the walls? Number one, it involves the demolition or dethroning of the walls of reason by focusing on a relationship with Jesus Christ. That word casting down means demolition. Uh, I know several of you were disappointed because I didn't knock all the boxes down this morning. I, I, I heard, I got hate mail on that. Why didn't you destroy the boxes? So, you know, that, that is involved. It's, it's demolishing something. Uh, another meaning of that word casting down is also the idea of dethroning something, removing it from its place of rule or authority. And, um, and so people who want to argue all the time, they want to argue doctrine, they want to argue that God really make the world in six days. They want to argue about creation. They want to argue about all of these other things. If God is so powerful and mighty, why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? And, um, and your response to that, aided by the Holy Spirit, is to come back and say, let's talk first about what it means to know God. Do you know him? Do you know God through his son, Jesus Christ? I know him. I love him. He loves me. Do you know him? And people can argue about a lot of things, but they can't argue with your experience of Jesus. And you have no need to be a walking apologetics expert. If you can simply share your testimony that I was lost and my life was spiraling in a direction that I know would have led to more pain and darkness and I put my trust in Jesus Christ and I did a 180 and he changed me. He's still changing me from the inside out. I'm not perfect, but I am very much forgiven because of what he did for me on the cross. And I talk to him every day and and he speaks to me through his word and through prayer. He guides me. 
He's kept me from so many stupid mistakes I would have made. He's kept me from repeating generations of mistakes that I learned growing up. He has done so much for me. Do you know him? Do you know Christ? And so, and so what happens is you have this stronghold of arguments, but you're circumventing that. You're going right around that, and you're talking about the very thing that the stronghold is designed to keep you from talking about, which is Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, the very next chapter from the one that we're reading, Paul says, For I am jealous for you, these Corinthians, with a godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. It is not difficult to understand what Paul cares about the most. And these other people were coming and say, Paul's doctrine's not right, and he's teaching you this, and that's not the correct thing, and you should be keeping the Jewish regulations, and you should be following people who have a little bit more experience and better understanding of the truth than he does, and so forth. And Paul's saying, I just wanted you to all to love Jesus. I wanted you to follow him. I wanted you to maintain in your life a simple devotion to Jesus Christ, and the enemy will do everything he can to distract you from that. He will cause you to get upset, worried, troubled about everything under the sun as long as you don't spend time with Jesus, as long as you don't seek him, as long as you don't cry out to him. And just as Eve was deceived by the serpent against the simplicity of simply doing what the Father told her to do, you and I can be deceived. He's not writing to lost people at this moment. He's not writing to non-Christians. He's writing to the people in Corinth. And he says, don't, don't, don't be distracted. Don't be distracted from simple devotion to Jesus. Secondly, the second part of the answer, what is the process for tearing down a stronghold? Secondly, the submission of the mind to the direct rule and teaching of Jesus. Once I've circumvented all the arguments and this wall of reason and all the excuses and all the debates and everything, once I've circumvented that and helped someone come to, to know Christ, once I've circumvented that and I've skirted around that, there's this area maybe where I don't want to trust the Lord and I'm going around my objections and I'm going around all the questions maybe even that I have and worries that I have and questions that I have. God, why, are, why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? And instead, just kind of circumvent that and go to Jesus. Then what has to happen next is all these free-floating thoughts that rumble through our brains not just one or two of them, not four or five of them, not even a dozen of them, but he says all of them. Every thought needs to be cap captured and brought under the rule of Jesus. I truly don't have the liberty in Christ to just think about whatever I want to think about if I want to stay out of the ditch spiritually and we have such guidance in the Philippians 4 some other places where we're encouraged in this way let me just share one scripture he wants my mind he wants your mind you say well I don't have much of mine we'll give him all you got 
Romans 12, verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world, Paul writes, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. That's why the battle's there, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In uh, the verse just before that, he says, I want you now, based on the mercies of God, what God has done for you in Christ, I want you to come and present your bodies as a living sacrifice. A sacrifice that's on the altar, still alive, but always being consumed and offered up to the Father. And he says the second part of this is not only do you need to offer yourself completely and without reservation to the Father, is don't be conformed to this world. And the word, if you've, you've probably been around a while, some of y'all Bible scholars, teachers, you've taught this, but conformed means to be pressed into a mold. That's the basic meaning of the word. Don't be pressed into the mold of this world. God made you to be one of a kind, not to be a knockoff of something else. And so don't be pressed into a mold of what the world says is right and wrong, the way to have purpose in your life, the way to have meaning and significance. And instead, he says, be transformed. And the word there is the word used to describe the process of metamorphosis when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. That's why one of the early Christian symbols was a butterfly. He says, don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, what do you think's involved with that process? What do you think has to happen for your mind to be renewed? Anybody want to take a stab at that? Yes? Surely the Word is part of that process, the Scripture. That if my mind is going to be employed for His use, if my mind is, is going to be enslaved to a new master, um, the Scripture has to be part of that. There's so much truth here, so much insight. What do you think practically how that works out on a day-to-day basis? In context, what, he said, what does he say you'll be able to do if your mind is being renewed? What does he say you'll be able to do? You'll be able to what? Prove? And if I was going to word it in a way that might be easier to understand, it's if that through that process of renewing the mind, you'll be able to discern the will of God, recognize what is good, what is God's will, what is God's purpose in this situation. And the more you, you work in this area of letting your mind be filled with truth and changed by truth, the easier, is what he's arguing, the easier it becomes to recognize God's will for you in a given situation. And so that's another part of taking it down. So so if I've circumvented everything and I'm, I'm helping someone enter a relationship with Jesus and I'm focusing more on my relationship with Jesus, the, the big arguments have come down. But I got all these random thoughts running around. And he says, you need to take your mind and give it to Jesus. The last thing, the third thing, is a readiness to correct myself when I step out from under the rule of Christ. He says, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. The word that I would focus on or circle there are the words being ready. It's not that you walk around with a whip beating yourself all the time. It's not that. What it is is a readiness. I recognize that the moment that I'm wrong, I deal with it. The moment I realize that something I said I shouldn't have said, something I did I shouldn't have done, that I deal with it immediately. And I don't let it go on, and I don't make excuses for bad behavior, and I just deal with it. Readiness, eagerness, vigilance to deal with the stuff in my heart, to deal with the stuff in my life. 
And so these are all the things that happen as a stronghold is dismantled in your life or in my life or in the life of someone you love and care for. Now, I mentioned earlier that Paul does not identify his weapons. But what he says about them are very important. In that passage of Scripture, the very beginning, verse uh, 4, he says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Everything I've said tonight about what happens needs to be governed by the weapons that we use. And so what does he say about the weapons? He first says they're not carnal. That means they are not of human origin. They're not weapons that I create. It's not something that I possess naturally in myself. Second thing he says is that they are powerful, mighty, dunamis. We get the word dynamite from that. That this weapon that's not of human origin is powerful. It can do some things. It can do some damage to some strongholds. And the third thing he says is that they are supernatural. They're mighty in God. I read a discussion on this in the original language, and there's so many nuances to that phrase, mighty in God. And I kept looking at that and reading what people were saying and Greek people were saying about all of that. You know, sometimes they get so buried into the details that they miss the obvious. That whatever this is, is from God, and it is powerful, and it has the capacity to dismantle everybody's objections, to disarm them. It has the power to bring every thought into captivity and to make me extremely sensitive to putting things right that I do that are wrong. And that is a work of God. And if you see that happening in your life, if God speaks to you about the things that you're doing, if, if he's reaching to you in a relationship, you're not, you're not, we get so caught up in secondary things. But if your heart is to know him, your heart is to be with him, your heart is to enjoy him, to know him, to hear him, then you have, you have whooped most of the big strongholds in your life, personally. Because the whole purpose of the stronghold is to keep you from that relationship. As we close this tonight, I need to be strong, drawing direction and power from him. If I'm going to address strongholds in my life or help someone address a stronghold in their life. We looked at all kinds of things this morning, addictions and emotions and all kinds of things that people deal with. The mistake you and I make is thinking that I can't in my own strength address those issues. And I simply cannot, according to Scripture. And so I need to be drawing direction and power from Him. So tonight, how could we respond? Maybe in your life there's an area that has not changed appreciably. And you're hearing what we talked about this morning, and you're hearing what we talked about tonight, and you really want to act in some way. You want to take an initial step. I believe with all my heart it's perfectly all right to pray about strongholds. Now, I'm not talking about just being, being flimsy. I'm talking about crying out to the Lord and saying, Lord, uh, I am acknowledging this thing, and I am falling down before you as the commander of the armies of the Lord, and I want to know the truth. And I want to walk with you daily. All the things we described this morning as principles, I want to be a part of that process where you're building my faith. 
And, and as you struggle with that, God invented the church so that you would not have to walk alone through the battles of your life. And we work so hard to be okay on Sundays, especially. And we have response time after response time after response time. And, um, and I fear we're not taking advantage of a moment in our worship as a congregation that he would like us to take advantage of. And so I would simply say to you tonight as your brother, if you need someone to pray for you, would you come? Would you let us as your pastors pray for you and with you? Maybe it's somebody you have prayed for for years. You know, I was just talking with someone before the service, and they were sharing with me a a breakthrough with someone that they love, that they've been praying for. And uh, someone this morning shared with me something very similar, a breakthrough with someone that they've been praying for. And these were involved strongholds, very real strongholds. About three weeks ago, someone came to me and shared with me someone who had sat here in one of our services became absolutely convinced they needed to deal with what was happening in their life, and they went to seek help. And so God's at work. God, God is at work. And so tonight, if you feel like you're all alone, you are not alone. That's a lie. And God gave you a church to love you, to encourage you, to pray with you. And so whether it's for yourself or someone dear to you, I would encourage you to take advantage of that tonight. We're here. We've got deacons scattered through the congregation. Too many of you get up here. They'll come down. They'll help. We've got Deacons wise, we've got other godly women who will step forward, and I know they'll pray with you too. If you never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's always where it all begins. We don't exit the kingdom of darkness without a supernatural transformation that only God can accomplish when we put our trust in Jesus and basically say, Jesus, save me. Save me. And I invite you to come tonight. We'll, we'll help you learn what it means to enter a new life, begin a new life with Christ, and to be fully forgiven for your sin. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the time that we get to spend together and, and to listen to your voice as you speak to us and guide us. And Father, for the dear ones who are battling uh, strongholds, who are struggling to trust you, who want to see an advance in someone's life that they're praying for. Father, we want to unite together as a church this evening, and we want to pray for the, those weapons that are mighty in God to come out and to be used. We ask it, Lord, for the sake of these dear ones that we're going to pray for, and we ask it, Father, for your name's sake, for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray.